Hi everybody, this is Lips from the band Anvil. You're listening to the Rock and Metal Podcast. You know it. Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with your host, Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley. Kick on back and listen to another exciting episode. It's time for the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast! Hi everybody, it's me, Dr. Fuck from Thrash or Die, and I am with... Yeah! Fuck yeah, that's Ian Wiley cracking the beer! So I want to start everything off uh, this week uh, before we get into the news that... Uh, it's actual news that I'm going to get into, uh, news that I'm kind of involved in. And that is the D. Snyder-Paul Stanley little fight. Where when it fought, when it first happened, when Paul Stanley first attacked D for saying basically something Paul Stanley already said, I took it upon myself to make a video where Paul Stanley's saying exactly what D. Snyder said, that only the original four should wear the makeup. I made a video called Kiss Deluded. I spoke about it on the previous program. And uh, the first thing I see, Gina Elizabeth, uh, Bill Wang's girl, uh, told me, hey, check this out. And she sent me a link. Eddie Trunk put it up. And I was like, wow, Eddie Trunk, he's putting it up. That's fucking awesome. And then the next thing I see is um, T. Snyder put it up. So they, both T. Snyder and Eddie Trunk saw my deluded video. And what made it even funnier was uh, some guy left me a comment on... You gotta see these comments on a deluded video. One guy wrote... You know, this is a really funny video, this rules, I love it. But, you know, I, I don't agree with you. And I'm like, but I didn't even talk in the video. <laughs> I didn't even talk. It's all Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons both talking about how, how only Ace and Peter can uh, wear the makeup. And this douche has to say this to me. Plus, there's a couple other douches that say, wow, man, this shit's already been 10, min- 10 years going and you take a lot you take your time to make a video that's right dickhead i took my time because i feel like it fuck you and you know what look at all the comments like nine out of ten love it they love this shit but then you have all these like kiss nerds uh on the kissfacts.com all you can kiss my ass i can tell you this right now i'll go there i'll post i'll say whatever the fuck i want because they were attacking me over there because you know well not everybody i gotta admit there were a couple people that were praising me Saying that I ruled and Thrasher I ruled and I thank you guys. But you have your little kiss nerds that are butt hurt that can't handle the fact that Paul Stanley said such things and they use excuses like, well, are we supposed to change our mind? No, because Paul Stanley did not change his mind. You know he doesn't like this shit. You know what he originally said on the farewell thing was true. That's exactly what he meant. That's exactly what Gene meant. So basically Paul Stanley attacked Dee Snyder for saying something that Paul Stanley said. How pathetic is that? Uh, another thing I want to talk about was I just saw Van Halen Woo! Uh, on, on uh, the 5th of uh, 15th of September. Uh, ah, West Palm Beach uh, what is it called? The Absolute Perfect Vodka Amphitheater. That's what, what it's called. Whatever. It's Coral Sky. That's it's, what I Yeah, know. it's Perfect Vodka uh, Amphitheater this week, though. And uh, I finally met Steve Kirsch, uh, who's a faithful listener of ours. And uh, 
uh, after the opening act, which was really good. Uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. That guy was fucking great. And he had uh, the guy, the the bass player from the firm, Tony Franklin. Oh, great bass player. He had the 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 drummer of the Stevie Ray Vaughan band. Ooh, nice. And they were just great. They were just they played some Hendrix tunes. And they were just awesome. Anyway, so after they played, uh, I met up with Steve Kirsch. And then Van Halen comes out, and oh man, yes, they were amazing, amazing. Uh, Dave, yes, you know, some parts, he's not as good as he used to be, we all know this. But he did pace himself a little more, he didn't like croak as much as he usually does. Uh, he kind of like talked his way during some songs, just not to ruin his voice. Dave was actually more... Uh, animated and talked a lot more since the last two tours where he's been kind of quiet he did this um, he, he made fun of Bon Jovi and how cool is that that's awesome yeah, you he hear did. that Billy Hardaway nobody likes Bon Jovi he was doing this, some bon, he was goofing on Bon Jovi but before he did um, Ice Cream Man you know he goes up there and he tells little stories and he was talking about oh I remember when I got my Lifetime Achievement Award it was November of 1985. I was nominated 15 nominations for my Just a Gigolo and, and uh, California Girls video. And I'm sitting there third row and who sits in front of me? James Brown. And James Brown turns around and he goes, aren't you David Lee Roth? And I said, yes I am, Mr. Brown. He goes, I know your work. And tonight you're gonna sweep up. And then uh, they come out and uh, he said that he lost almost every award to We Are the World. <laughs> he said that that song, that We Are the World, won every award. And then he went up to James Brown. He goes, James, when you said I was going to sweep up, did you mean after the show? <laughs> but, then, but then he goes, I may have lost every award, but James Brown knows my work. That is a lifetime treatment. How cool is that? And he also went in, when he was goofing on Bon Jovi, it was so awesome. He goes, and yeah, I heard Bon Jovi's having uh, there's friction with him and the guitar player. And he looks at Eddie and goes, sound familiar? <laughs> nice. That was uh, awesome. All right. Uh, we got to talk about a couple passings that happened this week. Uh, first, you know, I'm not the hugest fan, but I appreciate this guy's guitar work. Gary Richrath from uh, Aria Speedwagon passed away. And, uh... Man, he, he, he was a good guitar player, and from all accounts, he seemed like a good dude. Uh, I don't know, do you remember? I know I watched the Behind the Music years ago, but I don't really remember it all that well. Did he leave or get fired from REO? He got fired because he had a bad uh, drinking problem. Oh, that's um, terrible. I hope you never do that. Yeah, um, you'll keep burping. Ah, shit. Anyway, so, uh, look, and... Anybody that knows me knows I'm a big fan of 70s REO. Hey, we just had that uh, top 20 live albums, and it made it. It made it on my list. Cause, and, you know, Gary Richrath is, is, you know, he's very underrated as far as there's a lot of people out there. Because I was around when REO was like, you know, not high in fidelity yet, but they were still playing. You know, they were playing, like, uh, not arenas. I mean, they were uh, certain places arenas. But down here, they were playing the High Lie, which is 
was holds about 5,000 people. They were a hard, they were like a working man's hard rocking band in the 70s. They were uh, blue collar, very blue collar before High Fidelity. Uh, Gary Richrath was a huge inspiration to a lot of people I grew up with. I know one of my friends, man, I mean, I remember he played me Golden Country, the solo from the live album. And at that moment, I knew my friend can play guitar. It's not easy doing that solo. If you listen to the, the live version of Golden Country, Gary Richrath was a monster on guitar. He was amazing, hard rock guitarist, one of the best, one of the best. And I am a part, I have been part of a group on Facebook called Bring Gary Richrath Back to REO. I've always been, you know, uh, uh, pro Gary. I haven't seen REO without Gary because I refuse to. It's kind of like uh, the, the Tommy Fair Ace thing. It's like, dude, I mean, but I think I will go see REO now out of respect for Gary. But um, Gary Richrath was huge, huge inspiration to me. Uh, I love listening to Nine Lives, man. What, um, listen to the song Heavy on Your Love. That's heavy metal, man. And the solo on that song is just smoking. And listen to, like I said, Golden Country Live version, Son of a Poor Man, Riding the Storm Out. I mean, the man can play Sophisticated Lady. Now, here's another thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Sophisticated Lady, the first track on the first REO Speedwagon album. I blatantly ripped off on Wake Up, Smell the Thrash. If you listen to Wake Up, Smell the Thrash, it's the same verses, the same bridges. I just twisted around a bit. Of course, it does. a friend of mine listened to it and says, dude, I don't hear it at all, but trust me. Listen to my verses of Wake Up, Smell the Thrash and listen to Sophisticated Lady. I was listening to that album that day, and I said, dude, if I like pinch a little bit out of the song, who the fuck's gonna know, you know? Only a diehard REO fan would know that, but a diehard die REO fan ain't gonna follow Thrash or Die. So, you know, I figure, you know. So, right there tells you what a fan I am of the guy that actually pinched off the Sophisticated Lady song. And if you listen to that song, that shit's just as heavy as, like, the Deep Purple stuff. It's the same vein as Deep Purple, like early Deep Purple. I highly recommend a good way to start is uh, their Greatest Takes album called decade of rock and roll that was released right before high infidelity so you get to hear you know some prime cuts from the 70s era but but i'd say get that and the live album and right there you got all the greatest reo tunes of the 70s rest in peace gary richrath shame man i did get to see him one time at their height at the miami baseball stadium they headline a baseball stadium on high infidelity i did get to see him once so I'm happy for that. Uh, so rest in peace, man. He was uh, one of the greats, man. Very underrated, Gary Richrath. And I, and I just want to say, you know, as much as I bag like, you know, the '80s, uh, you know, the ballad, the Kevin Cronin when he really took over. It's kind of like when Steve Perry had too much control of Journey, uh, you know. But uh, I gotta admit, man, that live version of Riding the Storm Out is is fucking amazing. All right, uh, here's a band I've heard of, and I'm not going to say I'm a fan because I've never heard one note, but I know they're kind of well-respected in their little niche. But Oh, uh, yeah, the uh, ball thrower. Yeah, the drummer from ball thrower. 38 years old, Martin Kearns. Yes. Uh, and supposedly died in his sleep. Uh, he wasn't feeling well, passed away in his sleep. 
Uh, they don't expect any foul play or anything like that. Uh, but uh, hey, you know, you know, 38, man, Jesus Christ, I'm 41. You know, this guy's younger than me and and passed away due to no fault of his own. And uh, so, if there's any bolt thrower fans out there, uh, we just want to show a little respect. There are many. There are many bolt thrower fans. I saw them back in the 80s. All right, well, let's get into some regular news now. Uh, John Bush has been making the rounds a lot lately. I, 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 I think, did you see the latest one today? Yes, yes, okay. I did. All right, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, initially, uh, the first one I believe he did was one-on-one uh, -on -one with Mitch LaFon, a great show, uh, where he talked about uh, what's going on. Like, uh, Charlie hasn't talked to him. So he hasn't talked to Charlie and Frankie since he left the band. And basically, he... He said that Charlie just was really pissed at him that he didn't rejoin and didn't re-record the vocals uh, for worship music. Well, but, he 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 said Charlie got livid, livid when, yes. when when John Bush asked for an insane amount of money to do the album. Right. That's what happened. John said, "You know what? You want me to do it? Pay me this much." And Charlie got livid and it didn't work out. But the bottom line is, Charlie, you fucked them over. You yeah, fucking yeah. went, and you did the reunion, and then you had you got another singer. That didn't work out, and John was nice enough to help you guys out with some shows here and there. But then he just didn't want to join. He didn't want to go back into what was a fucking frustrating thing for him. Yes. And uh, then he later went on the Jamie Jasta show, his podcast, and he was talking about a lot of, and he's like, even said, he says, maybe I shouldn't talk about this, but fuck it. And I love that, because he was being honest. He said the business dealings with an anthrax were so horrible. And anybody that's followed anthrax, and I have, since I became a fan, I've stuck with them thick, thick and thin. Fan kept changing record labels and managers and shit like that. Saying he's uh, he was having a real hard time getting paid. And he said the same thing about Dan Spitz. You know, and I often wondered why Dan walked away after, you know, the reunion and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, maybe that that's part of it. Uh, another great thing that happened this weekend was ACDC at Wrigley Field. My beloved Wrigley Field in Chicago. They're, funny enough, they uh, there was a noise complaint about this show. You don't say with ACDC. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Chicago area, uh, the area surrounding Wrigley Field is known as Wrigleyville. And it's very yuppie now, very uh, expensive, very high dollar. And uh, apparently they couldn't take uh, the power that is ACDC and got major complaints. And I love that. Fuck you. If you lived there and you weren't at the show, fuck you. You should have been there. If ACDC came by me, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of the last album, and I'm sad that certain members aren't there, I would still go see ACDC if they were in my town. I saw them twice in Chicago. I saw them on the uh, on the Razor's Edge tour, and I saw them on the Ball Breaker tour, and they were two fucking incredible shows. One of the greatest bands of all time. Uh, man, is ACDC coming anywhere near you, Ralph? No, they're not. Um... But if they do, I'll be there. They might. I mean, ACDC has never skipped Florida. But uh, I'll go. I, I, I have never missed an ACDC show since For Those About to Rock. Oh, wow. Yes. That's I've seen awesome. every tour from, well, technically the Who Made Who tour 
didn't come to Florida. So I didn't see that one. But, you know, basically that was flying the wall, really. Where, yeah. where they just added a song. Who made it? So I missed that. But I seen every single tour. And I got to say, my favorite of, of all of them was a flick of the switch with fast way opening, by the way. Uh, another story I read this week, and, and it, it was also it was a tour that I saw. Uh, somebody asked Sebastian Bach, "What was the craziest tour you ever did?" And he mentioned the uh, Slave to the Grind run, where it was him. Uh, it was Skid Row, Megadeth, and Pantera, and I saw that. And uh, that was just incredible. He was talking about how, you know, he would warm up for the show trying to do all these scales and stuff, get his voice in shape. He one, said, one second, Ian. Um, I just want to clarify. Megadeth, I believe, only did one show. Oh, well, then I saw that show. Okay. Yeah, you saw the one show that Megadeth was on, but that whole tour was just Skid Row and Pantera, and I saw that tour, and I will talk about it myself. But go on. Uh, well, he, he said, you know... He has these rituals he doesn't get ready for his show. He said Pantera got uh, their warm-up was doing like 14 shots of Crown Royal. <laughs> and they'd run out on stage. And uh, I talked about it in a previous episode. I thought it's such a uh, fucking shame that the video for like high-speed dirt some fucking shit or... I don't know. One of the fucking Megadeth videos off of Countdown to Extension, they show a massive pit. And that was filmed at Alpine Valley, Wisconsin. And that pit was during Pantera, when Pantera played Primal Concrete Sledge. And I always thought, I remember me and my buddy seen a world premiere on MTV, we were like, that wasn't during Megadeth, because when Megadeth came on, it was already dark. They were showing a pit in the daylight, that was during fucking Pantera, and we were there. But it was such an amazing show, because you got Pantera, who I I can't remember if, if Vulgar had come out, or just come out. So you got a new, vibrant, awesome band. And then you got Megadeth, who uh, Countdown hadn't come out yet. And they were still using all the backdrops and everything was the Rust and Peace shit. Like the drums, everything, back piece. It was all still Rust and Peace. And then you had Skid Row, who was a cock rock band, but they put out a very heavy album for a cock rock band. So it was a mixture of all this different shit. And I love that, because so many times you go see a tour and it's all like, they're all kind of the same. You know, it's, it's more of a European thing to mix everything up. But on that, it was an amazing show. I'll never forget it. And Ralph, you got a story from that tour? Well, yeah, I saw the tour at Sunrise Musical Theater in, in Florida. First time I ever saw Skid Row. I did see Pantera uh, previously at, at a club called Button South, which, you know, I, 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 right there I was hooked. One of the, if, definitely the Van Halen of the 90s, the greatest live band of the 90s by far was Pantera. Hell yeah! And uh, so I go see Skid Row for the first time not knowing what to expect and I was uh, and still am a huge fan of Slave to the Grind. I think that's a fantastic album and I was very excited to see Skid Row and here comes Pantera. Ugly. Ugly guys. And fucking midway through the song, uh, through the show Phil grabs the guitar, Dime grabs the mic, they do an excellent version of Whiplash from Metallica. Then, and I have the set list. I actually have the set list, which I don't understand why the set list says this, but on the top it says Aaron's, Aaron's Coke List. I don't know why. And there's even a picture of Pantera on the set list. That's one of their roadies. Yeah, yeah, well, it's like Aaron's Coke List. 
and a picture of Pantera on the flyer. And that night they played fucking pussy tight. That was awesome. Wow. Nope. Yeah, they played. Yeah. Yep, it's on the flyer. It's on the, the seven. They played pussy tight. They played um, mouth for war. Fucking hostile. I don't think that album wasn't out yet. Uh, Volga wasn't out yet. Uh, and um, yeah, they. I have never in my life has seen a band destroy a headliner as bad as fucking Pantera did. And here's the kicker. Skid Row was actually awesome. The Scorpions have a new documentary coming out called Forever in a Day. And it's going to get released in theaters for one day on October 14th. And I don't know how many theaters, I don't know how many people are going to have an opportunity to see this. Probably going to have to live in a major city to see it. But this documentary was filmed over what was supposed to be their farewell tour a few years back. And uh, it's supposed to go, like, not only cover that tour, but to go back through the whole history of the band. And uh, this is what I thought you hit on a great point in our Scorpions Love Drive review where, you know, you said if Klaus Mine was to die tomorrow, everybody would come out of the woodwork and say how awesome he is. And I think people would do that about the Scorpions in general. Scorpions kind of get forgotten a little bit because they haven't released an album of, like, really big magnitude so long yeah but they have an amazing history and I'm not even just talking the 80s the 70s that when they're gone I truly believe you hit that right on the head man everybody go, oh they're the greatest band ever and they are oh, people people will be putting Claw's Mind on their top list as greatest singers ever they're not doing it now though right but they are an amazing band they have an uh what looks to be an awesome set of reissues coming out for, I believe it's like six or eight albums. Uh, but they truly deserve your respect. I would love to see them. Uh, I've only, I had one chance and it didn't go, unfortunately, because the venue was horrible and the ticket prices were fucking ridiculous. But if they come back again, fuck it, I'll take one for the team and go see them. Uh, love the Scorpions. So if you get a chance, check out the new documentary on the way uh, uh, called Forever in a Day. You know what I love? What's I love? I love Rudolph Shaker interviews. You know, you go there and you 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 play the guitar. You go outside and you go to America and you play. You put. I just love his enthusiasm and his accent. He said, Ru, "Rudolph Shaker seems like one of those cool dudes. Like just by looking at him, you go, I bet you that guy is fucking awesome to me. Like I I think the same thing when I look at Steve Harris." I'm like, I bet you Steve Harris is a nice motherfucker when you meet him, you know? And uh, I want to meet Rudolph Shaker, man. He, he, he's fucking... I think he's a fucking legend. I think they're all legends with his brother, Michael. And, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm curious to see his documentary. I hope they don't dwell too much on the farewell tour and they really touch upon shit. Them in the 60s, because they have right. been around for 50 years. Right. They started in 1965. So they've been around for 60 years. So I would love to see, because I've seen pictures of the Scorpions in the, in the 60s. I don't know if you saw them. They're pretty funny looking. Yeah. It doesn't look like the Scorpions at all. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. And then you have that classic video from the first album. Oh, yeah. Claus has yeah. that beard. Were there, is that where they're, <laughs> they're like at a mine pit or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're running around. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then you have the Oli era, which is my personal favorite. Mine too. The set, to me, the 70s. 
And they ended the 70s with my favorite Scorpions album, Love Drive, which check out our episode, we reviewed it. And um, and then, you know, you got Animal Magnetism, Blackout, and Love It For Sting, all great albums. They had a hell of a run. And then uh, here's something I'm excited about because you might get to see the Ayatollah of Alcohola because King Diamond is filming this new tour he's doing where he's doing the Abigail in its uh, entirety. And they're filming multiple shows. So hopefully the one here in New Orleans at the Civic Theater that I'm going to, you can see me. Also, I know our favorite drag queen, Justin Childers, is seeing him, you know, wherever, whatever backwoods town he lives in. Uh, he's going, so maybe you can see both of us. Uh, I'm really excited about seeing King Diamond. I've never seen him before live, and opening band is Exodus, who I've never seen either. What? You've, ne- you've never seen King Diamond? No, no. Oh, prepare your anus. This guy is amazing. King Diamond is such an amazing, amazing performer. You're going to love the hell out of him. That guy will give you a hell of a show. And, and Abigail is my favorite King Diamond album, so... Well, there you go. There you go. That's even, yeah. That even makes the oh, most yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So maybe I'll try to jump on the stage when they play Mansion in the Darkness, because that, that's my favorite song. Yeah, but I'm sure they're going to edit that part out. Yeah, they probably will. And you know, King Diamond is... Pet- oh, I'll tell you something funny about King Diamond. You know, you know he was tight with Pantera. Right. You know, on YouTube, you can see Pantera perform Deadly Omens with... King yeah. Diamond. And he, he lives and, he lives in Dallas too. Yeah, he lives in Texas and also the Ripper. They, they do the Ripper, Judas Priest oh, Ripper, nice. Pantera. And you gotta check this out, it's on YouTube. But here's one thing I, 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 I found out when he played down in the culture room. This was after Dime was killed. King Diamond performs with a bulletproof vest. Wow. He's paranoid. What? And I also heard he's he's a germaphobe. Oh, that see that disappoints me. Germaphobes kind of freak me out. They, yeah, they, he's a germ. They, 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 they scare me more than germs. But I'm excited to see the king. Oh, no, no, forget it. I mean, don't get on stage, man. Don't freak the king out. All right. Uh, all right, one last thing here. And I was actually thinking of you when I saw this today, Ralph. Uh, there's a uh, Facebook page. It's a lot of fun. They're called uh, uh, the Original, Ga- or Original Rock Bolt page on Facebook. I don't know if you're on this or not. No, I'm not. But they've been doing a lot of, you know, this album versus that album. And I kind of feel like anytime somebody does this album versus that album, they owe Bill Wang money. Because cause Bill Wang's Kiss, 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 Hard Rock and Heavy Metal, man, they are the king of the album battles. But this is a good fucking uh, Facebook page. I, I suggest everybody joins it. But they did one today. They do one a week. And this one was Iron Maiden's subtitled album versus... Metallica ride the lightning. Iron Maiden wins. Okay, I agree too. But I will say this: Ride the Lightning is my favorite Metallica album. I love Ride the Lightning. I I, I love it, but to me, you can't go against the first Iron Maiden album. First Iron Maiden album's better. Okay, I I had a feeling you were going to say that, but I wanted to ask you that, and I think it's an interesting segue into this week's episode. Well, before we go into this week's episode, I want to say. That those album versus albums really bother me because sometimes they put up albums that I can't go against, like you know, Volume Four versus Sad Wings of Destiny. I'm like, fuck you, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking do that. I just want to say, album versus albums. I mean, depending on the album, man. If they're gonna put up 
like, you know, Hysteria versus the Iron Dry, then, you know, I wouldn't mind replying to that. But there's some album versus albums that I get really upset, and I don't want to pick, you know, well, one over the other. Well, I, but, okay. I, I was interested to hear your opinion. Oh, and there's one thing I forgot to mention right before we get into the interview. I went off on a little rant last week about people not leaving iTunes reviews. Well, yeah. apparently, some people listened. Well, I should say one person listened. And I want to give him thanks. Sticks Hooligan is his Apple name. And he gave us a five-star uh, review. Plus, he left a little comment. And I just wanted to share this. And, I, and I'm going to start sharing these because I appreciate it now. Because it's kind of few and far in between. But he says, and I quote, I've been turned on to so much music. And yeah, made some purchases based on this podcast. The humor and the passion laced throughout the news and reviews sells the whole thing for me. I, I love that. I think it's a great review, and I love, we've all often said, that's our favorite thing about this, is turning people on to either something they overlooked or something they never heard. And I know we've done that for a lot of people, and that is the greatest thing. And uh, I want to thank Sticks Hooligan for leaving that review. Thank you, Sticks. All right, and without further to do, let's talk about the new Iron Maiden. Let's go. All right, here we go, people. It's time to review this album, uh, Iron Maiden's Book of Souls, released a couple weeks ago. Um, yes. And to show you, I mean, those that are part of our Facebook page pretty much know how I feel about the album. Uh, if you don't know how I feel about the album, then you're going to have to sit through this and find out. You see, you'd save some time if you are on our Facebook page, so join it. Anyway, uh, I got to be honest, the first time I heard this album, it was exactly what I expected. Because, uh, as uh, many of you may know, is like I am a huge Iron Maiden fan from 84 down. After that, it's been very... Hit and miss. I, I, you know, I gotta admit, I like a song almost off every album. I'm not this Iron Maiden hater that, you know, some of you think I am, because, you know, I give shit chances, you know. And this one, you know, I was curious. It's a double album. Let's see, you know. And the first time I heard it, it was, I admit, very painful. But uh, I came up with the idea. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe you did, Ian. I can't remember who came up with the idea uh, to review this album. And I said, all right, for, for, for you people that I love so much, I'm going to direct through this album. And not like Slayer, where I only heard it twice. This one, I heard a fucking total of six times. Yes. This, wow. du this double album, I heard six times to let it sink in. And some of my opinion has changed. Some has sunk in. Some hasn't. And uh, we will find out what I think of each track as we get into it. But now I'm going to throw the microphone over to Ian Wadley, lead guitar. Oh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of talk about this album. Probably the most anticipated album of the year. And people just fucking love this album right off the bat. I was really surprised how many... Uh, just people do oh god it's it's amazing it's one of their best albums and i'll be really interested to see what opinion of this album is down the road because I, I know there was a few albums that i was just so excited about and initially i thought it was 
fucking fantastic and then give it a little bit of time it's like uh, I was like that with the Black Album loved the Black Album like the first two months it was out and then just like you know what this kind of sucks and then I just never played it anymore you know and I kind of got a feeling that I, I want to see where all the praise is for this like six months or a year from now but uh man universal fucking acclaim the uh, fans have been digging it uh, the critics even like it. Uh, Chart-wise, it's been phenomenal. They're fifth number one in Europe. Uh, so, you, you know, you can't argue with the success of the album, but is it a, a successful album in, to our ears? Well, I gotta tell you, Ian, uh, I remember when Angel Retribution first came out. I used to be part of the Metal Sludge Board, and may he rest in peace. There's a good guy. He went by the name of Iggy Pop Will Eat Itself. Uh... You know, he he hated Age of Retribution, and he was telling us the only reason you guys like this album is because Rob Halford's back. In a couple years, you're all going to forget about this album. And, you know, no offense to the dead, poor guy passed away, but what are we in, uh, 10 years after that album was released? And I yes. still love it. I may love it even more than I did back then. It's one of my favorite Drew's Priest albums. Later, Priest, yeah, it's up there, man. It's one, it's in a phenomenal album, you know. Oh, I, I love every fucking song except the last one. Yeah, I know everybody hates Loch Ness. I didn't, but it was like my least favorite off the album. But I will say this in defense of Iron Maiden fans: ten years down the road, they may feel the same way about this album as I feel about Angel Retribution. Who am I to say? All right, well, we shall see. Let's talk about the first song. Uh, which is If Eternity Should Fail. This one, uh, Bruce was writing this for possible inclusion on a solo album. And uh, I, I believe it is their first song, like throughout its drop detuning. Uh, something very different from Maiden. I think it's a good opener. And I would probably say right now, I think it's the best track on the album. I, I, I really dig this one. At first, it started kind of slow. I was like, oh shit, what's this? And then it really picks up, and then you got that weird shit at the end of this, you know, shit, you know, Cookie Monster, Kilroy was here shit. But I dig it, uh, obviously, because I think it's the best track on the album. Uh, I, I really dig this song. What do you think, Ralph? Uh, I, I did like it. I liked, uh, I liked the intro. Uh, actually, I also have to stress the first time I heard it, I didn't like it. So there you go. This is one that did sink in. Got my notes here. Uh, what I wrote was that I really liked the intro because it reminded me a lot of In the Evening from Led Zeppelin, that kind of spooky Lucifer Rising type vibe to it. I think Bruce sounds great in the beginning with that weird sound going in the background. Then the band kicks into the mid-tempo they seem to love so much with that gallop, that damn gallop that they play in every, just about every song. Yes, that gallop does show up more on this album. I think the highlight of this song, though, is actually the solo section. I think it's a little different, a little bit, and really cool. Um, and uh, and I love what you were saying earlier, that wicked vo vocal effects with that acoustic end. That shit was awesome. So, But I actually liked If Eternity Shall Fall. There you go. Okay, the next song is the first single, uh, Speed of Light. It's catchy, not bad, decent, hard rocking tune. So, you know, I, I think the album starts off really good with the first two tracks. Uh, I, I dig a lot. Actually, to be honest with you, when I first heard the album, 
you know, I was like, well, it started off okay, but then, you know, uh, but, you know, I have changed my opinion on this as we go on to the album. But uh, I, I dig the first two songs more than my first listen. They're not okay anymore. I, th I think they're both very good. So, uh, all right, Ian, what do you think of Speed of Light? Um, the first time I heard it, I thought it was okay. Uh, you know, not, not bad, not great. But every time I hear this song now, I love it more and more. Uh, I think this is their best single since uh, Wicker Man. And oh, God. Yeah, see, yeah, I, I love Wicker Man. Yeah, well, then I guess you love uh, Judas Priest running free because it's what? the same goddamn song. Yeah, I, li I like them both. Yeah, you like you like when bands rip off each other. Yes, I love okay. it. All yeah. right, yeah, we'll find out in a little I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm making a mental note of this. Ian likes Wicker Man, so then the next time you bitch about some band ripping off another band in their song, I'll bring up Wicker Man. Fuck Wicker Man. Whatever. Running, running wild. Now that's a fucking killer song. All right. I love, I love them both. Yeah. Uh, which one do you love more? Judas Priest. Uh, you know, a good thing you said that because I was about to ask anybody who wanted to be the brand new co-host of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. <laughs> oh, I, I see what we're doing here. Uh, but no, I love this song and uh, that part when he says. Uh, Shadows and the Stars, when he sings that, like, that brings the hair up, man. I mean, I love his vocals on that. Um, really good. Like I said, the more I listen to it, the more I love it. I have changed my opinion as well on uh, on a few of these songs. And that includes the next song, The Great Unknown, which is written by uh, Adrian Smith and Steve Harris. Uh, the first time I heard it, it was just like kind of, okay, whatever, next song. Uh, I'm really digging it now. I think it's a good slamming track. Definitely uh, has grown on me. What do you think of uh, The Great Unknown? The Great Unknown, I believe it's about you and anybody that <laughs> likes this song. I think it's a great unknown how anybody can like this. That's what this song's about. All right, then we go into the red and the black. Now, uh, I can't remember. I'm sorry who it was on our Facebook page that was telling me this song is so great. I listen to the song and I've heard people like like it and I think to myself, am I on the fucking Truman Show? Seriously, am I like on TV now? Is everybody fucking with me? You know, I, I, have, to, I have to think that. Wait, how can anybody like this crap? So many like the song. Look, it starts off with like the most sloppy, horrible bass solo. From Steve fucking Harris? Steve Harris? Doing a sloppy bass solo? What the fuck's up with that? And then, to think that was bad enough, it goes into this vocal and guitar combo that annoys the piss out of me to no end. And, oh yeah, and your typical, whoa, whoa, uh, that, you know, you know this stinker's gonna be played live. Oh, oh this, yeah. this is horrible. The red and the black is more like the red and the crap. Ah, 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 ah. What do you think? Uh, first time I heard it, I was like, oh God, uh, now here's Maiden ripping off themselves. You know, there's so much stuff in this song that you've heard in other Maiden songs uh, time and time again. Uh, but I gotta say, this one's kind of grown on me. Like at first I was like, ugh, 
And, but I, I like it a lot more. And yes, this will get played live. Not only, you know, because it's a Steve Harris song, but, you know, they love those Whoa, Whoa songs live. Yeah. You know? And uh, so you are going to hear this one, trust me. But uh, I don't mind. I, I think this one's begging to play live. I think they could do a good job on it, get the crowd going into it. Uh, definitely changed my tune on this one. I'm really digging the red and the black now. I know Justin Childers hated it at first, and now even he's coming around, I think, a little bit to it. I could be wrong. But uh, it's not bad. But then we go into uh, When the River Runs Deep. And, uh, man, here's where it's like, okay. Uh, this one, you know, initially I wrote some notes on earlier listens, and then I added more notes on... on you know, next listens. And initially I put, you know, boring feels even longer than it is. And this is one of the short tracks. Uh, but, uh, you know, the second or third time I kind of liked it a little bit better, but still it's like, I feel like I've heard this song a million times on all the, the reunion now, you know, post, uh, brave new world. You know, I, I think that's an issue, a problem with a lot of these albums. Just so much of it sounds the fucking same. And uh, this song, I think, is a prime example. What do you think of When the River Runs Deep, bro? Yeah, it's, it's a little faster. It's a little bit uh, up-tempo than what we've heard so far. But it goes nowhere. This is no Sun and Steel. And I love Sun and Steel from Peace of Mind. But kind of like, it's it's pointless. This is one that they won't play live. This is one that, hey, I, I, Nako. We, want, we need to make a double album. Let's just, like, throw some crap together. And, you know, play a little faster this time. And uh, then Nico says something stupid, like he always does. And um, it, it's, it's like, whatever. Okay, uh, we're speeding through this. But, you know, it, it is a double album, but these songs are so fucking long, it's, it has the same, like, amount of a regular album, you know? And, and once again, like our, like our next episode, everybody's going to hear... Uh, is it's a new album to us, so we're not vested in it. Yeah. You know, we don't have a lot of emotional shit to say about it, good or bad. This is just first impression. For some reason, I've had a funny feeling about this new tour. I, of course, you're gonna hear some, you know songs off of this, but I think they might mix it up a little bit because they know, you know, it just works better when they mix it up a little bit better. Uh, I think it was on the Eddie Trunk podcast. It was either that or on Chris Jarrah. I think it was on, on Eddie Trunk. But asked him, what uh, Deano songs do you like, you know, or would you like to do? And what he mentioned was Prodigal Son. Oh, God, that would be amazing. You know, if any song would yeah. sound good with Bruce singing the Deano, it would be that one. Anyway, all right, so let's get back into the album. Uh, you want to take the title track? Um, it's, uh, I don't know, man. It, I'll tell you, first of all, it's too fucking long. The song doesn't justify the, the ten minutes. You know, I, I think I think Maiden should be limited. That, that's what they need. They need somebody to say fucking no. And apparently Kevin Shirley's not the fucking guy. They need somebody to say, look, there's going to be like no more than ten fucking songs and only one song over fucking eight minutes. Get that through your fucking head. But nobody's going to say that, and they keep doing these long unnecessarily long it's, it's like it's masturbatory shit you know and, and one thing I've always been in defense of you know the three guitars since the reunion because I love that Yannick was there you know through the dark years and they kept them you know they they hey you were you stayed with us you know when we were shit and you know why get rid of you and I respect that 
But now oh, it's what, like, what else is Janet going to do? Come on. Well, yeah, yeah, there, there is that. But I, I like that they kept him. I, a lot of people bag on Yannick. I like him. I bag on him. But, uh, you know, it's like now it's like, does every song have to be so long so uh, all three guitar players can get a solo or something? I don't know. And by the way, this one was written with Yannick and, and Steve Harris. But uh, it just sounds, once again, like they're repeating themselves. I've heard this song on every post-reunion album. And uh, it really does nothing for me. What do you think, Ralph? Well, I got to tell you, Ian, and this may shock you, this is the best goddamn song on the album. Wow. I love this song. I would even go as far as say this is like the best song they've done since um, uh, Seven Sun. Uh, I think it's an amazing song. I love the atmosphere. And I got to say, man, anybody out there that hated the first listen, go back and give Book of Souls a couple more tries because I didn't like it the first time. I didn't like the whole album, really. But, man, going back and hearing this one over and over again, I actually, this one, I, I heard the album, but this one I went back to and heard one more time, just this song, after I was done listening to the album. And I just wanted to make sure I was hearing this right because it was really good. I really like Book of Souls, and mainly because of the atmosphere. I think everything's good on it. Bruce's vocals, all those guitar solos, and I, I don't mind the length of it. Um, Book of Souls is my favorite track off the album. Uh, okay. And that is the end of the first CD, first album. Now we go into the second album, which opens with Death or Glory. Musically, I think this song kicks much ass. It's fast, it's heavy, it's killer. But I still stand by what I said when I first heard it. I was like, well, this song is kicking ass, but Bruce really sounds like horror, like he's straining too much. Kind of like that same strain he used to do back in Live After Death. Uh, and I don't like Bruce's uh, strainy voice. When he just strains his way through a song, it really, it just ruins the song for me. If they would have had, like, you know, somebody like me, just kidding. If they would have, like, you know, some, or, or if Bruce would have sang it a little more, less strainy, I think this song would have been really good. But uh, Death or Glory, musically great. Uh, Bruce Dickinson ruins it for me, just like Live After Death. The band is musically great, but Bruce sounds like ass on that album. That's my opinion on Death or Glory. Ian? Uh, this one's about World War One triplanes, and uh, my initial notes I put, I choose death, because <laughs> this song really did nothing for me. Uh, it was it was between this and uh, Speed of Light for the single off the album. I ended up going with Speed of Light. I think it's a wise choice. Uh, but I will say, on repeated listens, it's growing on me. I'm still not totally sold, but, uh, god damn, how many, like, fucking Aces High fucking airplane fucking songs can they have? We need something else to happen in history for these guys to fucking sing about, because I, I think they've covered Flight, you know? Jesus Christ, Flight of the, or Ghost of the Navigator, all this shit, I don't Ace, know. Aces High, where Eagle's yeah. there. Yeah, like, you know, come on. I Fly uh, a Plane. Yeah, you ever hear we, that one, I Fly a Plane? We need more, uh, you know, submarine songs or a four-wheeler song. Give me an epic four-wheeler song or a three-wheeler. They're even more dangerous. No, I, w I want more hooker songs. Yes. Yes, more Charlotte the Harlot, please. But, uh, yeah, it, it's growing on me. I like it better than I did initially, but 
Still not saying all that much. And then we go into Shadows of the Valley. This is another one written with Yannick Gears and Steve Harris. And, oh, just a, to me, another boring track. Uh, once again, this song is on every reunion album. And it, it goes nowhere, and it takes way too long to get there. And, you know, there's no reason for this song to be 7 minutes and 32 seconds. They could have summed up this fucking turd in, in, in three and a half minutes, in my opinion. I'm, sh I'm sure this is probably your second favorite track. So, uh, uh, this is... No, man, you're crazy, dude. We're going to agree on this one, Ian. About time. All right. <laughs> sometimes sometimes we, we meet, bro. Sometimes it's like, it's like, hey, look, Ian is on my page. <laughs> this song starts with pretty much the Wasted Years intro. Um, it sounds like Wasted Years to me. Like a little... A tinge different, but it's wasted years. Well, I'm sure. Know. Hey, did Adrian write this one? No, no. This is Yannick and Steve. Okay, because uh, I, I know Adrian had a lot to do with wasted years. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's an Adrian all the way. Well, this this is wasted years all the way. Boring as fuck. Stupid song. I don't like it. Shadow of the Valley, which goes uh, goes into the next one, the Robin Williams song. They wrote a song about Robin Williams called Tears of a Clown. And uh, all I can say is I think Bon Scott did a better tribute to Robin Williams uh, when when Nightcrawler ended and he said, Shazbot, nano nano. Uh, but you know, Robin wasn't dead yet. And you know, Bon died soon after. That was the last thing Bon ever said on record, man. Ain't that sad? Uh, no, that's something else. Still, it was a better tribute than this crap. What the fuck? Really? Oh look, Maiden has feelings. For Robin Williams. And they tears of a clown. They're calling him a clown. I don't know. I mean, look, it's not a laughing matter. I mean, I really dug Robin Williams. I wasn't the biggest fan of him, but he made me laugh. He was a funny guy. I don't think he was horrible. And he seemed like a good human, you know? A great actor. And it's sad that he killed himself over depression. A very sad thing. And I guess a sad topic, but, you know, if you ask me, I, I'd rather them sing about planes. Robin Williams, there you go. Never thought you'd hear that in a fucking Maiden song. Uh, this is Bruce's favorite song on the album. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, and what a clown. Asked, and he asked Steve, when, when he read the lyrics, he's like, is this about Robin Williams? This is what he says. And, you know, Steve's like, yeah. Uh, the first time I heard this, I was like, you've got to be fucking shit me. And when I heard the premise for this song, I kind of already hated it before I even heard it. So I think I had a little bit of prejudice going into it. Not that I hate Robin Williams, I love Robin Williams. But it's just like, that, that's not Maiden to me, <laughs> you know? It's it's like, you know, they're, they're gonna write a song about the, the death of the career of Steve Gutenberg next, you know? Uh, but I gotta say, as I listen to it more, I, I, I'm starting to enjoy it. I don't think it's horrible, but it's definitely not Maiden and seems very out of place on this record. Very out of place. Why didn't they write a fucking song about Clive Burr? Hello. Sorry. There right. there you go. Call it the greatest drummer in Iron Maiden. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they should have just called it better than Nico. And, and I, I I love Nico. And no, I do too. Hey, look, uh, you know, Nico, I know Nico. I mean, we're not buddies or anything, but he lives down here. I've been to his rib joint. He did a radio show with me. He is a super nice guy. A great guy, funny guy, and a tremendous drummer. 
an amazing drummer. That guy is fucking flawless. But, you know, I just liked Clive more. And so did Bruce Dickinson. Did you know that? Yes, I, w- I was going to get into that, that he did. And I was very shocked by that statement. Yeah, me but, too. Uh, but he's, he said that. He's like, yeah, he goes, he's the best drummer I made never had and that I ever played with. And I was like, wow, I can't believe you're saying that. And I'm the same as you. I mean, no disrespect to Nico, man. I Nico's mean, Nico, amazing. Technically, I mean, and there's lots of stories about that. I know Tommy Lee, I wish he would have paid a little bit more attention, but said when they were opened up for Maiden, he would sit on the side of the stage every night and watch Nico and just like, how in the fuck does he do that? And he would change his position to try to see what he's doing because Nico always has this like encompassing drum set. And he wanted to see everything he could because he thought, you know, the guy is like an octopus. He is. Love him, but there's something about Clive Burr, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it's too bad he didn't do much after that because even in the early stages of his disease, I bet he had some wicked blast beats. That's not funny, Ian. Okay, bye. Oh, God. We're so PC. I'm very uh, sensitive when it comes to people that I love that they, you know, he's dead from multiple sclerosis, right? That's what he had, right? No, he only had one. He only had one sclerosis. <laughs> okay, now, now that was funny. You see? I like that. That, that made me laugh, you know? But, you know, but it's not funny saying, you know, he blasphemes. Come on. <laughs> he did. He did play on Desperado. You know that album with these guys. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it's funny. I, I don't know if it's in his book. Uh, Shut up. Give me the mic or whatever. But I did read in other interviews where he said he couldn't believe uh, Clyde Burr was like the list he wanted. He goes, "Okay, I'll join your band," but he's like, he wanted to be treated like he was John Bottom or Keith Moon, and he had all these ridiculous demands. You know, and D. Snyder's like, "There's no way we can afford this, dude." You know, but he wanted to be. You know, treated like a king, and he was a king. He was a great. Yeah, drummer. I think he, he and, should uh, be he should be treated that way. You know, and and it's too bad that uh, you know, it, what what happened to him and that he didn't do other stuff after Maiden. But yeah, I think you're right. They they should have combined, uh, you know, a Clive Burr and a Robin Williams songs, and then you could call it "Shakes the Clown." Oh God! All right, Shakes stop, clown, stop, 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 stop. Oh come on! Come on. I want, to, I want to bring up a point on Metal Sludge this guy wrote. I don't see what was so great about Clyde Burr. And what I did was I just put a link to Genus Khan. I was like, listen to this. And then he wrote back, holy crap, I didn't know he was that good. <laughs> well, there you go. So let's go on to the next track, which is The Man of Sorrows, written by Dave Murray. Dave Murray's only contribution to the album. Uh, Dave Murray and Steve Harris wrote this one. And, uh, you know, my notes, like, is this the same song? Because it kind of like, you know, after Tears of Clown, it just it, uh, kind of sounds the same. And once again, there's another one that it's it's like fucking wallpaper. It's like, well, we need another song to make it a, you know, a two-disc album. Uh, it goes nowhere too slow. You know, it's six minutes and 28 seconds. Uh, this one hasn't grown on me at all. And in fact, I think it's the second worst song on the album. Well, what I get, do you think of the Man of Sorrows? I can tell you, I do identify with the Man of Sorrows because um, listening to this, you know, makes me sad, and uh, <laughs> and and uh, I feel like this song is a great excuse why this album shouldn't have been a double album. If you would have shaved off this song 
you would have shaved off uh, the you know the, the, the Robin Williams song, the Great Unknown. You know, it could have been a, a, a better one album deal. A uh, book of uh, the Man of Sorrows to me is pointless. It is a lot like the same subject of the song we just heard now. What is this? Double shot of emo? And uh, Eddie does not approve of this shit. Burp. All right. So we go to the last song. And now this one is hailed as the masterpiece. I've seen so many people point at this song as like, oh, I've seen people going, man, I hope they... They, they play this one live because it's so um, epic and it starts with this piano. It's like, what the fuck, piano? But! I gotta say, man, I, I at first I hated this song, but uh, now it's like, I like the, the intro. I like the nice piano. I like that violin. It's very unanimated, but, but I dig that shit. I like how Bruce sings it in the beginning. It's, it has a couple interesting twists and turns. But then here comes Bruce straining his fucking voice through the song again. Killing it for me. Then there's a little section where he sings a little more like the beginning, which is nice. And I believe at the end, too, it, it, it has like a flow. This song, it it's some of it's good, some of it's bad. Uh, masterpiece, no. If Bruce like sang it differently... I would say it's a good, it's a great tune, minus the straining part of Bruce's voice. I don't understand how anybody can listen to that guy strain that voice and think that's great singing compared to the way he sang Children of the Damned, the way he sang, uh, you know, um, uh, Revelations and, you know, uh, just the way the guy sang, period, back in the day. Hallowed Be Thy Name. There's no straining on those songs like there is now. You can tell the guy. And and the thing is that Bruce Dickinson, to me, sounds better live today than he did back in the 80s. But I feel like he's going down that road again. Because I don't remember him hear, hearing him strain so much like he has on this album. So Empire of Clouds, I dug it. I mean, it took me a few listens to actually dig it. But I do like that intro. I like the way Bruce sings in that tone but then the 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 vocals is what ruins it for me when it gets a little more up tempo so there you go now we got ian's last uh, comment on the album and when we're done all right well this was written about the r101 aircraft uh, uh just tremendous fucking aircraft you could fit the titanic inside of this motherfucker wow <laughs> yeah that's uh, and that's in the lyrics too uh, it, it did crash in France, and uh, so I mean there there's there's some history here, uh, but god damn does it justify 18 fucking minutes, and pianos and French horns and synthesizers and all this shit and violins. Yeah, I mean to me this sounds like a fucking Jim, Jim Steinman song, because I could see fucking Meatloaf or Bonnie Tyler singing this shit. You know, you know? I was waiting for like turn around you know it's i don't know man it's wow the good news is uh bruce dickinson said that they will probably never play this live and that gave me much joy because uh, you know i hopefully i might get to see this tour and i would not want to fucking piss for 18 minutes you know it might take that long to get there and get a beer and uh, i don't know but 
man, th th this you could play fucking five good main songs in the time it takes to play this overbloated piece of shit. I shouldn't say it's all right, but god damn it, dude, it's it's so unnecessary. Trim the fat. They need someone to say, "Look, you're fucking up," and 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 Kevin Shirley's not the guy to do it. And he's even said that in interviews. Well, basically, he said that there's no one who can tell them that. And, and, and man, I think they need somebody to tell them because that, that's been the biggest problem. This, this you know, Well, I should say it started even before, even in the Blaze era. Just too long, man. Fucking get to the fucking point. You know, where is the aces high? You know, where is the, the two minutes to midnight? Come and kick your fucking ass and then we're gone. I don't need all this fucking, you know, fucking Jethro Toll meets fucking Dream Theater shit. You know, I, I I love Iron Maiden. I'm the same as you. There's songs I enjoy off every album. Uh, a prime example was like uh, I really dug the song, uh, the single off of Matter of Life and Death, the Resurrection of Benjamin Bregg. I like that song. And you know what I liked about that song? It was kind of different for Maiden. Yeah, yeah. I I, I love the riff, but you couldn't chop that song in half and had one of the punchiest songs they've done since Power Slave. But they fucked it up by going way too long. Uh, you know, and this is just like, oh god, I, I don't know. This is, to me, this song sums up everything that's wrong with with current Iron Maiden. Well, I, I agree with you with the with the part of shaving it down, but the way I would like this song, you would hate it. I mean, I, I this song I think would have been perfect for me if it was just completely mellow from beginning to end, with no none of that straining. And if you want to get heavier. Do it instrumental and then come back mellow with Bruce singing in the tone he does in the beginning. Uh, I would, I would really, I would say this would be tied for my favorite track if it wasn't for the straining because I really did love the piano and all that fucking instruments that they were using. I thought it sounded really good. I think it made sense and it was well, well structured. But then when they got heavy and Bruce started straining, it killed it for me. It, it just sounds very labored and, and forced to me, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll change. Like I said, some other songs have changed for me, but kind of like what you said, you don't know if you're going to listen to this album again. I don't know how long it's going to be before I go back. I know I was the same way with Final Frontier. I really tried to get into it. I was really excited and just, you know, I, I like I kept forcing myself, like, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. You know, it's like something your mom tells you to eat, you know, and like, I don't want to, you know, and, and yeah, I don't remember uh, liking any song off that album. I remember there was a song called Where the Wind Blows. Oh, that was horrible. Yeah, and I saw them, they actually played that one live, and that was a real long one, too. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, man, it just, what a buzzkill, and I felt bad because I took a buddy of mine uh, with us, and he had never seen Maiden before, and it's like, he sat there the whole time, it's like, he was just, he's like, oh, can they play something I know? Can they play yeah. something I know? You know, and it, and it was like a, I felt really bad because we traveled, spent all this money, man. It was one of the most expensive shows we ever went to when you had, the beers were 12 fucking dollars. And we were, we're all drinkers. I mean, and, and then you can't, you know, you got like four songs you can sing along with. You know, it, it was, it was sad. I saw that show and uh, my then girlfriend, and I spent a lot of time at the beer stand. And we would walk in to watch, I mean, she liked the evil that men do, not me. But you know, I walked in to watch that. The Trooper, 
what else did they play that night? Wrathchild, I think, and Hallow Be Thy Name, and Fear the Dark. And yeah. the rest was the new album. And they did, like, you know, some stuff off of uh, uh, Brave New World and, you know, the album. Right, but it did Blood Brothers, you know? And what sucks, though, is, like, the classics that they did were the shit that I've heard a million yeah, times. Know, I know, and I, I don't necessarily want to hear that again. And then I see the set list for Somewhere Back in Time, which I wasn't able to see, and it's like, fuck, and then it seems like what they do now is like, you know, good tour, bad tour, good tour, bad tour, and it's like, and and they just did the fucking, I didn't get to see this last one, where they did, uh, you know, uh, uh, Seventh Son and some shit like that, which I would like to see in that show. Buddy of mine got to see it twice. I didn't see it once, so we might be due for a shitty tour, but I'm kind of hoping that a lot of this backlash, they might tweak it a lot, but you never know, because they fucking hate America so goddamn bad. America probably have a whole separate set list that's all fucking shit. I know, you know? Uh, that, what, the the Matter of Life and Death Tour, they played that whole album from beginning they, to end. They did that everywhere, though. That wasn't just in America. Yeah. That, and, was, and that, that, that pissed and, off a lot. Yeah. They end, and then they ended it with, like, Fear of the Dark and How It Be That Name and Iron Maiden. Yeah, like, yeah and that's... Oh, man, you know I what was cool? You know what was, what was really cool about the Somewhere Back in Time tour when they played Florida? Uh, Bruce Dickinson even said it that night. Here's a song we don't play that often. And they threw out Children of the Damned, which was the first time oh. I've ever seen them play that. Oh, and, that would have been amazing. Yeah, dude, they played that song. That's like one of my favorite. If not, probably okay. my that and Hallow Be Thy Name are probably my two favorite Bruce Dickinson era songs. And I never seen them do uh, Children of the Damned ever. So seeing uh, that, because I yeah. saw the by the Peace of Mind tour, it was already off the set list. But my God, was that fucking great. And yeah, you know what you were saying? A shitty tour, good tour, shitty tour, good tour. Yeah, you like Later Maiden. You, you make a lot of sense to me, Ian. Shitty tour, me and Newer Maiden. Good tour, me and being Let's Play the Classics. You know what I mean. If you want to see Iron Maiden, you'd rather see the old shit, not the new shit. No, I definitely prefer the old shit. I like, I, I do like uh, Brave New World, other than Blood Brothers. I really like it. Dance of Death really did nothing for me. Uh, wasn't that huge? I, I, I like Matter of Life and Death a lot better than Dance of Death. There was a song on Dance of Death I liked that Nico McBrain wrote. And I can't remember the name of the song yeah. now. Pesh, Pesh, some shit like that. Uh, Passchendaele. I like that one. That was a good yeah, song. That, that one bored me. I hated the single, that Wildest Dream. Yeah, and Rainmaker or Rain Dance. Oh, on. man. And, and then fucking Final Frontier, like, ugh. El Dorado. <laughs> oh, El Dorado was fucking No, but you know you know the last song, Where the Wind Blows? They should have just renamed it. Just take words. Yeah, they should have just took Where the Wind off that fucking title. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, uh. Man, I'd love to see a classic Maiden tour, but, you know, I don't know. Again, with my luck, if they do that, they'll play nowhere near here. And if they do, it'll be on Tuesday. But yeah. anyway, there's the fucking album. Got a, some little facts here. Uh, it was released September 4th of this year, 2015. Produced by Kevin Shirley and Steve Harris. Steve Harris just can't take his hands off the fucking controls. Uh... It's the first time they've used the original Iron Maiden logo since the X-Factor. Uh, and the, the cover art, I thought I thought it was a really good-looking Eddie, but I hate just him with no background. If you see the other artwork for the album, there is amazing shit. 
amazing, like, like Eddie ripping out a heart and, you know, Mayan temples behind him, all this amazing shit that could have made an incredible fucking cover. Because I think this is the best Eddie that's not uh, Derek Riggs. But just to have the black background is like, why? When you got all this other amazing artwork that's part of the album, put that on the cover. Do something that pops out where if somebody does see it in a record store, like, oh my god, look at that. The way you you, you used to look at Iron Maiden album covers and like, oh my god, I gotta have it for that alone. You know, but to me, the you know, the, the cover art with the black background is just as boring as half the tracks. But apparently people are eating this shit up because oh my god other than in the u.s i haven't seen a chart in the u.s but australia it was number two and there's two bulgarian charts i don't know why but debuted at number one on one and number two on the other number one uh on the dutch charts number two in france number one in germany number one in hungary uh two in ireland number one in, in italy number six in japan number two in new zealand number one on the swedish charts number one in the uk and as a matter of fact it's already been it's already gone silver in the uk well i i, I think it's gonna be on at least the top 10 you know i went to my best buy my local one and uh they sold out well i've been hearing a lot about selling out on amazon too yeah uh, I, I saw the the rack was empty they had the regular one there but you know the right. the, the special edition one that rack yeah. was totally empty. I was like, wow. Yeah. And, and let me tell you something. I live on Miami Beach, Trend Central. So that's even more impressive because there ain't no metalheads on Miami Beach but me. Right. So I don't know uh, how that uh, happened. Also, an another thing that I thought might have been good for this album, but I don't think worked out right, is this is the least involved Steve Harris has been with an album. Uh, due to the fact that there was two deaths very close to him while this was uh, while the album was being recorded uh, one was a family member and one was a childhood friend of his so he was very distracted took time away from the studio and a lot of people feel like if you know Steve released the rankings a little bit that you know the others would come up with some shit more jamming but to me didn't turn out to be the case I mean while I do like a lot of tracks on this it's still not the Iron Maiden I want you know but I guess it's what they want so would you say you enjoy it more than anything after Brave New World? Oh yes, yes. I will. I will say that. I will say that. I but enjoy. It, I it, enjoy it more than Brave New World. Uh, well, I like I said, Sands Blood Brothers. I really did like that album. Uh, you know, especially coming after those two stinkers with Blaze Bailey, and I wasn't that great. You know, fond of Fear of the Dark either. But uh, you know, I don't know. It's. You know, a lot of people say, well, bands need to evolve and bands need to change, you know. And well, they're not evolving. They... I, I think Iron Maiden's been stagnant for for decades now. It's There's nothing like, I mean, ex uh, with the exception of, of uh, you know, Empire of the Clouds. Because that's the only one that I feel, you know, was really drastically different. Uh, everything else was, you know, what I would expect. But I got to stress again. I love that title track. God damn. Well, maybe I'll have to go back and listen to it. Like like we're saying, this is, it's still fresh to us, and opinions might change. But the true test of any album is, you know, are you going to go back to it? Yeah. You know? I mean, like, I am um, going to go back to that title track. I'm, let me ask you, because you know, I'm curious. Who wrote, who, who wrote the title track? 
Uh, I believe that that was Yannick and and, uh, and Steve Harris. Damn. Let me let me double. Yes, it was Yannick and Steve Harris. Wow, I am impressed because that was it's a very well structured, kick ass Iron Maiden song that, you know, for somebody that it gets so much shit for hating on Maiden, you know, you see, man, I'm not this fucking hater. Like, you know, there's certain people. I'll give you an example. I ain't gonna name this guy, but there's a guy that's in a band. That I just saw him today write this stuff about, oh, look, we're Slayer and we go really fast, blah, blah, blah. You know, here's the thing, man. Uh, you know, you can hate on a band all you want, but man, if the song is good, there's certain people out there that won't admit it. Because they just hate the band so much, they will never give them a chance. Alrighty, well, that's that. Let's get into our pick of the weeks. Here's my uh, pick of the week. My pick of the week is a band that uh, is not very well known. Unless you're a fucking metalhead like me, then they, they are very popular. If you love the metal like I do. Their name, the name of the band is called Obsession. Uh, they have a, they have uh, like three, four albums out. But the, the my favorites are the two that they released in the 80s. And the EP, they had an EP called Martial Law, which was their debut. Uh, second album's called Scarred for Life. Uh, I love both those albums, but my pick this week is their third release called Methods of Madness. Man, solid album from beginning to end. Amazing singer, Mike Vissera, who ended up in Loudness. If you guys remember Loudness, uh, Minuin and Harrow, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, was out of the band, they brought in Mike, and he did a couple albums, the one with uh, Soldier of Fortune was one, and On the Prowl, and I think he did more, maybe not, I don't know, which, again, those are two great albums too, those two great loudness albums with with Mike Becerra, but my pick this week is Methods of Madness from Obsession. If you love metal, traditional metal, you're gonna worship this shit, so I highly recommend you look into Obsession, Methods to Madness. Thank you. Now Ian is back, and what's your pick? All right, well, man, I'll have to check that one out because I don't know that one. Uh, oh, you don't I'm know? Going... You don't know Obsession? No. Oh, I'm shocked. No. Okay, go ahead. I'll have to check that out though. Uh, I'm going old school here. I'm going back to the fucking '60s. Uh, with one of my favorite albums by one of my favorite bands, The Doors. And I'm going with their third album, Waiting for the Sun. Uh, man, so many classics on here. Hello, I Love You, Love Street, Not to Touch the Earth, Summer's Almost Gone, Unknown Soldier, Fucking Five to One, My Wild Love, Spanish Caravan, all kinds of fucking classics on this album. Uh, absolutely love it. If you like The Doors, I'm sure you probably already know this one. If you don't like The Doors, give this one a chance, because I think it's a killer fucking album. Doors Waiting for the Sun, my pick of the week. I'm a very casual Doors fan. I'm not like the biggest fan, but man, I, I really love that song, uh, A Crystal Ship. Yeah, Crystal Ship. That's on the first one. Great song, though. I own I own uh, the, the best of The Doors, and right. that's that's on there. And I've always... That, that song... It's just awesome. And, I like Five to One. Believe, That's a good one, too. And, and believe it or not, you should YouTube this shit. I think you would like an incredible cover of that song. Duran Duran does a version of a Crystal Ship. That's amazing. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. 
The Ramones, the Ramones do an incredible version of uh, Take It As It Comes. Is that the name of the song? Take yeah, it easy, that. baby. Take what, what, it was that on? Was that on Acid Eaters? It's on Mondo Bizarro. It's the only oh, cover Bizarro. on that one. It's okay. They, they, that's how I, I I never knew that song until I heard the Ramones. Oh song. yeah, it's a great. And then song. I went back and listened to the Doors version, and it's not that different. It's pretty damn good. But again, you know, I mean, I've I've dated so many chicks that love the Doors. I can't tell you how many girls I dated that had Jim Morrison posters. And I've oh, listened yeah. to the doors like you wouldn't believe. So I I I this that's definitely a band that I would say casual because I never really fully got into them, but they're not like a good examples like the Grateful Dead. I can't get into shit like that. I don't really like jam bands. But uh they the doors is definitely one of those casual bands you know it's like i don't hate them but i can't really fully get into it like the rest of the world but then there's those songs that, and i also like love some of their hits i love touch me i have always loved that song i love uh what's another people are strange is awesome oh yeah i love that oh, yeah. song but you know i mean uh there you go maybe we should do a top 10 doors episode one day Oh, would love to. Would love to. Mine would be like uh, a greatest hits, though. It'd be everything on the greatest hits. All right. Well, let's go into fan of the week. And our fan of the week this week is Stephen Gear or Geyer. I don't know. G I E R. I don't know if I pronounce it right. From South Carolina. Uh, brother, you're new to the page, relatively well as far as I've seen. But I've seen you a lot over the last month. A lot of posts, and that's what we look for, man. Uh, very active on the page, and uh, and I want to thank you. And I also want to thank all our listeners that have been sharing uh, the show on their Facebook pages. A lot of people lately. It's getting bigger and bigger each week, the amount of fans from the Facebook page that are sharing the link. And that that's amazing because that's another way, you know, you might have a friend that doesn't know about it, and they see that on your page. Hmm, what's this? You know, and, and checks it out, and, and we get another uh, amazing fan. But so, Stephen, you are our fan of the week. All righty. Well, now we go to where I gotta pimp the shit I pimp every week. Once again, if you're not on the Facebook page, you better be. Over 1,100 people strong on there. A lot of people very active, man. It, it's a great page. So much fun shit on there. Uh, check us out on iTunes. I know I bitched about this in the last episode. Get stress on there. So many people listen to us with iTunes. Leave a fucking review. If you can't be bothered to do that, at least leave a five-star rating, man. It means a lot, and we appreciate it. Show your support for the show. Uh, also, check us out on our home on Podbean. We have a lot of listeners on Podbean. Subscribe to it. The same with iTunes. Subscribe to the show. That stuff really helps us. Uh, and when you go on the Podbean link, there's all kinds of other links on the right side of the page. Like our Amazon link, where you can get any of the albums we talk about or anything you want. You can buy anything you want on Amazon, but if you use that link, we get a portion of it. I appreciate it. It really helps offset the cost of the show. Also, there's a link to our YouTube page. Amazing way to check out a visual version of this show. No, you don't have to look at us. You get to look at the bands we're talking about with pictures and videos. It's amazing. Check it out. ThatMetalStation.com, where we can be heard twice a week on Sundays and uh, Thursdays. And I think our time just changed on Sundays. So get your ass on ThatMetalStation.com and find out exactly when. Also, they are looking for DJs. 
They've, they've changed up. We're, they're adding new, you know, different metal, all kinds of shit. Get your ass on there right now. Check it out. And if you want to be a DJ, you can be like Mike Tyler, a fan of our show, who now has two shows on that metal station. He has a thrash show on Tuesdays and then an all-encompassing metal show on Fridays. Also, his nephew has a show on Wednesdays. Check out all the amazing DJs on ThatMetalStation.com. Also, check us out on the Indie Authority, where you can hear us Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. And while you're do- checking out that shit, also check out some other podcasts that we love and our friends of the show, like the Decibel Geek Podcast, The Rock Show with Gully and Joe, who are also on uh, the Indie Authority. Check out podcasts with Great Ken Mills, Mars Attacks, another great podcast, uh, History Science Theater, another great podcast. Any other ones you want to plug, Ralph? Oh uh, yeah, actually, uh, God damn it, I'm sorry, something just went off here. Uh, Metal Messiah Radio with the Metal Magdalene Jet. All right, well, uh, we kind of went through that quick, even though we took some twists and turns. Uh, I think maybe we might have some time for some music. Oh yes, we do. All right, well, let's get into some tunes. This is Tigers of Pantang. Off the 1981 album Spellbound, this is the opening track. This is Gangland. You can't. 
Fucking Land by Tigers of Pantang, man. Check that shit out, man. You're gonna if you like that, that's a great album. Spellbound. Look it up. All right, Ralph. Uh, awesome. Uh, I'm gonna go even way earlier than that. I'm going back to the '70s, and this is an obscure band. Not an obscure band. Very well known band, but kind of a deep track for them. This is off the album Playing the Game. This is a band called Nazareth, and this song rules. It's hard rocking, it kicks ass. It's called Born to Love.
All right, that was Nazareth with Born to Love. Uh, what do you got there, Ian? All right, this comes off uh, the first album I got from this gentleman, and it certainly wasn't the last. And even though I'm not too big in classical shit, I've always had a thing for this guy, and that's Ingve J. Malmsteen. And off of his third album trilogy, this is Queen in Love. <laughs>
right, that was Ingbe J. Malmsteen with Queen in Love. What do we got next? All right, I am going to get... I'm going to come... This is, like, really new. Uh, this is, like, my brand new... I love this band. Uh, they're called Dr. Living Dead. Oh, yeah. Se- off their self-title. This song is actually about the third Die Hard, which I love. That Did you see the third Die Hard movie? Yes. Die Hard 3 with Samuel L. Jackson? Yes. Such a great movie. Well, this is a... If you listen to the lyrics, man, it has that whole Simon Says thing, and it just rules. It's awesome. This song is called Revenge on John. Dr. Living Dead, my favorite new band. Uh, song about Die Hard 3, Revenge on John. What's up there, Ian? What do you got? Oh, man, I, I got to thank you for turning me on to that. Because, uh, man, I've been listening to that shit nonstop. That shit is awesome. They, they are awesome, man. All right. Well, I'm going to go to, uh, this was a side project of Zach Wiles right after he left Ozzy. And, uh, man, I really dig this shit. This is called Pride and Glory. This is Losing Your Mind. Morning. 
You're just losing your mind. Zach Wilde of Pride and Glory with Losing Your Mind. Hit me with another one, Ralph. All right, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to throw you, I'm, hey, uh, Duck, Ian, I'm about to throw you Whoa. some cock. Oh, I catch it. Yeah, yeah, look, it's, it's, it. it's, it's, yeah, I knew you were going to catch it. Nice catch with your mouth. <laughs> anyway, this song fucking rocks, man. I'm not a big fan of this band, but I got to admit, their first two albums are great. Uh, this band's called Night Ranger, and I and this is my favorite track from this band. This band, this song, rocks, man. This is like some really killer hard rock. I mean, come on, with a line like "I get high when I want to." Come on, how cool is that? Anyway, this song is called "Touch of Madness." <laughs>
Midnight Madness. That was Night Ranger with Touch of Madness. All right, Ian, what do you got? All right, well, let's keep it early 80s in that same vein of rock. Uh, man, I love this guy. I don't care what anybody fucking says, and I think this album kicks ass. Off his 1981 masterpiece, Don't Say No, this is Billy Squire with In the Dark.
All right, that was a great Billy Squire, one of the number one most sampled artists in all of rap, funny enough. Uh, and he's made quite a living off of that. But that was a great song called In the Dark. All right, well, mine, uh, it's kind of a, this is a band that really changed. And we, we, we actually uh, reviewed their album, uh, Hall of the Mountain King. But this is later. This was uh, off of uh, The Streets, a rock opera. This is when they went kind of like operatic with a bunch of, you know, you know, kind of like their, what, 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 what's that called? Tri Trisberia Orchestra yeah. kind of vibe album. But this song kind of sticks out like a sore thumb because it sounds like something off the early Sabotage. This is pure metal from beginning to end. There's nothing at all symphonic about this. This is this is heavy metal at its core. With the late great Chris Oliva going ape shit on guitar on this. It's called Agony and Ecstasy. <laughs> That just will not die With no regrets of what I do tell you Before the night is over You'll be crawling too Whisper through 
right John that was John Oliva with Chris Oliva and Sabotage uh, from the uh, streets to rock opera that song was called Agony and Ecstasy all right Ian what do you got all right I got a song that everybody knows but maybe you don't know this version because it was only on a greatest hits album little one you might not know called double platinum this is kiss with strutter 78 
All right, could you tell the difference? I know I could. That was Strutter78 from You Know Who. All right, well, if you think this episode was great and we know you do, join us next week when UFC champion Ronda Rousey is going to join us in the studio and we're going to talk about the debut album from Warlock, Burning the Witches. Oh, that's awesome. I love to tickle her clit with my tongue. <laughs>